public speaking is a spectrum of speaking. You know, the, the less familiar your audience, the more you think of it as being public per se. If you think about a meeting situation for work where you might know half the room, but not the other half of the room, I think that's also a form of public speaking. Welcome to Women in Foreign Policy. My name is Annika, and I'm one of your hosts here on the podcast. I'm a graduate student in Geneva, Switzerland. You'll be hearing from my co-host Ashley soon. This month's episode is in a bit of a different format than usual. You'll get to listen to two different conversations that Ashley had with fabulous women on this month's topic, which is public speaking. Yes, public speaking. For some of you, a great opportunity to showcase your brilliance, and for others, completely terrifying, and we will be covering all of it. This episode is a part of our series on professional development that you may have heard over the past few months. We've covered professional development organizations, mentorship, sponsorship, networking, and the transition from school to professional life. We've got one more in this series on personal branding next month, but in the meantime, settle in for these great conversations today about public speaking. So now I'll be handing over the reins and we'll listen to Ashley talk to these two women. And as usual, each interview starts with an introduction. My name is Sarah Mincara, and I'm the founder and CEO of Empowerment Through Integration. It's an international nonprofit that focuses on um, the empowerment and the inclusion of people and youth with disabilities. And the way we do that is by changing and disrupting the narrative surrounding disability, trying to move from a charity-based perspective to a value-based perspective. So ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get everyone within society, whether it's a youth with disability, whether it's a family member, whether it's a community person, whether it's someone, someone random person in society to come to a realization that integrating people with disability into society is a value for all. By not doing so, we're losing out on their value and their potential. So that's what, what ETI is all about, and that's what my mission in life is all about. Hi, I'm Christine Chang. I am a lecturer in War Studies at King's College London, and I sit on the advisory board for, the, uh, for Women in Foreign Policy. And I guess I do quite a lot of public speaking. Um, and yeah, it's taken a while to, for me, I guess, to to think about how I've ended up in this situation where I end up doing quite a lot of public speaking. And also that I guess I I feel relatively comfortable doing it now, but it's it's taken a while to get to this point. So you used to be someone who struggled a lot with that fear when you were speaking in public? I think everybody struggles with that fear. I don't think that there's a person who is, or I would say, I think it's rare to be born uh, without any fear of public speaking. I think it's part and parcel of who most of us, how most of us start out at the beginning, uh, no matter how confident the speaker may seem now. I think I would describe my relationship with public speaking as kind of like an adrenaline junkie. Oh, really? Yeah, like, because um, there are people who, who you know, jump off of things or, or base climb buildings or whatever. And like, I think those people are probably scared, right? But like, they're intentionally doing these things when they don't necessarily have to. And so I think in the same way, like I get that like adrenaline rush when I stand up to like present in a meeting or like talk in front of a classroom or something like that. But I still will like voluntarily like self-select to be making those presentations. I can understand that feeling 
I think quite a lot of us, and it's funny, I do think that there might even be a cultural divide here because I find North Americans are more willing to make that leap and put up their hand so that they can make the intervention. Whereas I actually find that a lot of my British students, particularly the women, are more likely to keep it to themselves and don't don't want to take the leap off the building, even though nothing really bad is going to happen. Um, so I think I think it's I think some of it is I think some of it is cultural, but it's hard to know really without you know doing a broad survey. But from what I've observed over the years of teaching, I can see that different people respond differently. And I think you're lucky, actually, that you get that adrenaline rush and that you are able to put up your hand and make the intervention. That was very social scientist of you to say that you wanted like the broad survey before you could make any sleeping generalizations. <laughs> I know, I can't help it. But I think, like, all I can say is anecdotally, this is what I've seen. Um, and I've got, I guess I got a fairly decent sample after having taught for, you know, 10 years, but it is a very selective group of people that I've been teaching, uh, you know, at very good universities at the master's level primarily. So, right. you know, it's just watching, watching how people behave under different circumstances and then talking to them afterwards, because sometimes I realize that some of my, again, I have to go back to my female students, they have these, I read their essays, and this is after maybe four or five weeks of class. Turns out they're absolutely brilliant thinkers, but absolutely quiet as mice in my class. And I talk to them afterwards and say, you know, you, you wrote such a brilliant essay. I'd love it if you would actually contribute more to the conversation. You always have, you know, you must have some great thoughts if this is the kind of writing that you're producing. And then they, you know, they describe to me what goes on in their heads as they're thinking about whether or not to raise their hand in class. And a lot of the things that come up are things like, well, the moment has passed, right? I had something to say, and then I was trying to figure out exactly how to say it, how to formulate it perfectly. And then we were on to the next topic, right? And as you and I were just discussing a moment ago, this is quite common in, in meetings, for example, that you have something to contribute to the conversation that's helpful. And either somebody else says it first as you're trying to work up the courage to put up your hand or work out how to say it perfectly. And then that moment passes and you lose your opportunity. So yeah, I still think that you're incredibly, you're one of those people that is incredibly lucky that isn't you know, naturally scared of public speaking. Uh, well, I will, I'll definitely keep that in mind because sometimes I feel, I feel, I think like, when you're growing up, right, people in classes, like, people will struggle. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, we have to give this presentation today, and I'm so terrified, you know. And, like, starting from junior high or high school, like, people really struggle with that fear. And I always kind of thought, like, do, do you think that maybe people learn that they have to struggle with that fear and so have that fear? Or for you, do you think it's more of like a really natural inclination that doesn't have to be taught or sort of socially enforced? I just think that public speaking is something that you practice. And I think if you're North American, you're used to practicing it a lot more. 
it's reinforced a lot more in North American culture than it is, for example, in British culture. There are not as many presentations, I think, in British culture as there are in North American culture. And so people are more comfortable naturally with giving presentations. And that means more practice, basically. So the more practice you have, the key to public speaking, good public speaking, feeling comfortable doing public speaking is just practice. You know, having as many opportunities in as many varied environments as possible with as many different types of audiences as possible. And the more kinds of exposure you have to those audiences and environments, then the more likely that you'll be able to handle a curveball when it comes to you. I think you're, I think you're totally right. And I think practice is, practice is really key. And I guess kind of moving on from there, like following up on that, we've talked about kind of like, if you practice, you'll be a better public speaker, but what does it look like to be a good public speaker? Like what characteristics are you sort of flagging up when you say like, oh, this person is a really good public speaker? So there are a bunch of things and some of them are completely intangible, right? Uh, and you could argue that it might be like art, you know, beauty is always in the in the eye of the beholder or you know it when you see it. Um, I think the amazing public speakers that are out there, when you've heard somebody who is truly excellent at public speaking, everybody knows it. And they can't always put their finger on exactly why it is, but you all know that you've experienced it. So I think that's one end of it, right? And then I think, you know, there's the other end of it, which is when something is truly dreadful and everybody also agrees that it's truly dreadful. But I think in between are the rest of us and uh, the rest of us can probably work on some very key and basic things, right? One is to be clear with your ideas, figure out exactly what you want to say. And then sometimes you need to say it over and over again right? You might have one or two or three messages that you want to deliver, but not too many. And you might want to go deeply into those. But effectively, you there are some things that you really want the audience to remember. And if you're good at what you're doing, then hopefully that message comes through. I think also an element of surprise in the conversation uh, is, is helpful in that dialogue. So if there is something that you're telling the audience that they didn't previously know that makes them go, aha, wow, I've learned something, then that's more likely to stick in their heads. I think another part of it is definitely knowing your audience. Speaking to a group of colleagues is not the same as speaking to um, your child's kindergarten class, for example, right? You're, you're going to have to adjust your, your talk and your tone and your language and your body language accordingly. So if you're in a meeting, I don't know, with policymakers, um, or if you're speaking to your students, as I do on a regular basis, I use quite different forms of communication. I slow down my speech in some cases, I explain a lot of terms, I change my, you know, I stop using jargon or I use more jargon depending on whether or not the crowd is comfortable with it. You really have to know who you're talking to well enough to be able to pitch what you want to say to them so that they can absorb it both efficiently, but also, but not, not too efficiently so that you're using words that they don't understand. 
And then ideally also your, you know, your style is plays into this. If you, if you're a funny person, that really helps. I'm not very funny at all, but I've seen people who are incredibly funny and they can, they can really just, they have the audience eating out of the palm of their hand within the first two minutes of a talk. And I'm not sure quite how you learn how to do this, but if you are a funny person, then you absolutely should use it to your advantage. And then again, just sort of speaking into that style tone, it's it's how relaxed you are when you speak. If you are very, very, um, if you feel at ease, it will show up and you're sort of, you're in the same vibe as the audience and they will sense that and that sets the tone of the conversation, right? So if you want to be serious, then use your body language to project that seriousness. And it depends on the place that you are, right? But if this is, if you want it to look and feel more like a conversation, then you also should use your body language in a way and, uh, you know, be chatty in a way that reflects that. And then I think the last thing that is probably the most underappreciated is learning how to use silence in your speech. Silence is an incredibly effective tool if used properly. It's very, very powerful, but it has to be deliberate and you have to know when to use it and how to use it. And I've seen people use this so magnificently. So if you follow some of Obama's speeches, for example, and you just watch for those silences and you listen to how he uses silence. It's it's masterful. And again, we're moving into the realm of the, you know, the super duper, really, really amazing speech givers. But I think all of us can take some of those tips and help make our public speaking skills better. I think your last two points there really kind of play into one another because the thing that sets apart really skilled public speakers is that they seem comfortable and in particular they are comfortable with silence. I think that sort of more amateur public speakers or people who clearly give off a vibe of being like unsure of themselves are also the people who are just not comfortable using silence at all. But that's a really hard thing because most of us are so nervous when we're speaking that we have a tendency to rush our speech which is, I guess, uh, you know, another tip that I would add in there. Slow your speech down as much as possible. There are times to speed up your speech and there are times to dial it right back down. And it depends on where you want to put the emphasis in your talk. And if you don't know what that sounds like, then you can, if you're not a very familiar, uh, if you're not very familiar with public speaking, you can write out every single word of your speech. I, I think that's... For most people, that's probably overkill. But if you do that, then you read it out very slowly. Then you can get a sense of what the pacing is like. And then you can vary your pacing accordingly. And you'll get a very different sense of how that speech can work. And then you can just get rid of the words altogether, turn it into bullet points. And then you'll remember a lot of the phrasing that you've used, which will then help you convert those bullet points into something that's more natural, but also more efficient with your words. Yeah, I, I think that people tend to get hung up on every single word of the speech. You're right. And, and maybe don't 
and that, and that also means that once you you get up there if you drop a cue card or something then that's that's like the end of your composure kind of thing and i think you're right it's really much more crucial to understand the the contours of the speech and where we're going the main points we need to stop at on the way and then just believe that you know it well enough to to make it through with or without cue cards kind of thing I think most people who have to give talks like this, and it's, you know, it's very rare that you actually have to give a formal public speech. Most of the time, it's more about giving a presentation in a meeting or needing to make, you know, a substantial intervention in in some kind of meeting situation. And most people know the points that they want to make. So they know their material well enough that they can do that without cue cards. That you know, that more rare situation where you have to actually give a very long formal public speech, that one is one that tends to be to a bigger audience and you do probably want to prep more and you're a little bit more worried about being word perfect. Those are also the situations where you tend to have a strict time limit that you have to adhere to. So the timing issue is also quite critical, right? The more natural you are and the less, frankly, the less prep that you do, the less substantive information you're going to be able to get across in what you have to say. So if, you know, if it's really, really critical that you cram a lot of information in, right? So the TED Talks are, are great examples of this. You've got 17 minutes and you're trying to convey a lot of information as much as possible so that people can really get the full breadth of your argument. But you have to be really, really efficient with your words. And in order to do that, that means you have to rehearse the heck out of that talk. So if you don't, then you're not going to be able to get as much information across. But, you know, most most of us don't have to deal with that kind of situation very often, if ever. Right. I think I think that's definitely true. And I think it hits again on this this point that you kind of consistently keep coming back to where like, the scope of or the spectrum of public speaking is so broad that there is no one sort of concrete answer to any particular question about public speaking. Yeah, I mean, it, knowing who you're speaking to, and in some cases, who you're trying to impress in the room, that determines some of the way in which you figure out what you want to say, right? Sometimes, sometimes the person you're really speaking to in the room is your boss. In fact, I would say a lot of, you know, that's, or maybe that's the person that many of us are the most worried about in the room. Uh, and also, you're going to feel maybe particularly terrified if you there are a lot of senior people in the room. And of course, it depends on whether or not you know the senior people or whether or not you don't know the senior people, right? So the most terrifying combination is lots and lots of senior people who you've never met before, but you know are really important, right? For one reason or another. That kind of situation where you feel like your reputation can either be um, made or broken, depending on what you say in the next two to five minutes, that's a very scary situation. And some of those situations you're not even prepping for, right? It, it just depends on how quickly you can think on your feet. And I think that's also probably the most common form of public speech that most of us are engaged in, but that we are the most terrified of, right? When you feel that when you feel that pounding in your heart as you raise your hand because you you need to say something or you're expected to say something and you're really thinking, oh, am I just going to make 
and ask of myself in this situation? Or am I going to shine, right? And it really feels like there's a lot on the line. So I think we've we've probably hit on this a little bit, but I just wanted to offer you the option to kind of um, revisit any else anything else that you wanted to say about it. But we have this sort of topic where we're talking about like why public speaking is important, why it's relevant, like why it's a skill you should be looking at building. Is there anything else you wanted to add on that front? I think we've I think we've covered it pretty well, but I wanted to make sure you didn't have anything else to say. Well, I think that public speaking is a skill that is not, I, would, I wouldn't even necessarily call it public speaking in the way that a lot of us use it, but being able to communicate verbally on a regular basis in front, in front of different types of audiences, under pressure in some cases, formally in some cases and informally in other cases, but basically being able to communicate well verbally, um, that is such an important life skill. It's probably the one thing that will, more than other things actually, make or break your career. And being able to do it well, being able to convey what it is that you want to say in to lots of different kinds of audiences, right? And being able to pitch things at their level, that is, that is something that you can take with you from into any job, from one job into the next, into the next, into the next, right? No matter how long your career is, this is one thing that you will be able to use forever and ever. And I think once, if you keep forcing yourself to practice it under lots of different kinds of circumstances, you will inevitably get better at it. I think the trick is that you have to, like you've done, Ashley, force yourself to do it, right? You know, you get the adrenaline rush, you put up your hand in a situation where you don't feel comfortable, but you know you're pushing yourself just a little bit more each time, just a little bit more, right? So if you're at a public talk, for example, and you don't know anything about the topic necessarily, I would say, particularly if you're a woman, raise your hand and ask a question. And if you don't know what kind of question to ask, then while the talk is going on, make notes of what is being said. I take tons and tons and tons of notes when I'm chairing, when I'm, when I'm, um, you know, sitting on any kind of panel. I like to keep a record of what's going on and I happen to process information by writing it down. And I find it an incredibly useful way of figuring out, oh, well, how does this and that and the other fit together? And then how can I use these points to actually move the conversation forward uh, by asking a question. So I would say that's a way in which if you can challenge yourself to consistently practice the public speaking, you will be able to improve on that skill. And then that will be reflected in every job that you do. I think, I think that's really excellent advice. Um, and I think that really pinpoints why it's so important that regardless of whether you enjoy it regardless of whether you're looking for a job that makes you do the least public speaking possible like this is really a skill you're going to need to hone yeah it's especially for those who are terrified of it I would still say it's not something that um it's not something that I think that terror ever goes away completely for anybody. I suspect that even at 
the most senior levels, people who you know do public speaking for a living, there are probably still some circumstances, depending on who is in the audience and who that peer group is and who they consider to be the people that they are you know, most wanting respect from, that kind of audience will still induce a bit of worry in, you know, even people who are absolutely seasoned pros at this. So it's just something that we work through, right? And the more we work through it, the better we get at it. It is like absolutely everything else. It's just like the piano or the violin or any kind of, you know, sport. You just have to keep doing it. It's a muscle that you exercise. And when you don't use it very often, then going back to it again after a long time of not using it will be a bit scary and you will be a bit rusty. And you just leave yourself a bit of room to not be the most articulate at the very beginning. And then you will get back into your groove and you will improve again. Do you have any kind of like tips and tricks to make people better speakers? We talked a little bit about like kind of what characteristics we're looking for in a good speaker. Right. Um, I think that if there's one thing I would say is not to actually over-prepare. I think, I think it's actually a female trait, but I'm not totally sure about this, that uh, women are really worried about coming across as not completely competent. So in order to deal with that possibility, uh, they over-prepare and they spend a lot more time preparing than they necessarily need to. I think most people who are asked typically to um, give a talk or you know sit on a panel or whatever it may be, it's because they're already qualified. You know, if somebody's asking you to do this, you are already qualified to do this. You probably don't need to do very much preparation unless, you know, it's clear when you do need to do preparation. But I suspect that many of us over-prepare and we don't really need to over-prepare. And I think part of that is because women are more likely, feel like they're more apt to be judged and uh, I think they feel more vulnerable in that kind of situation. So there's a tendency to try to make up for it by being perfect. And perfect is fine when you don't have anything else in the world to do. But you've probably got a million other things that need to be done. Or you could just better spend your time with your family or your friends. You know, don't don't over prepare for a lot of these things when you don't need to. Yeah, I think this is one situation where perfect is definitely the enemy of good. Yeah, but sometimes it's very hard to fight that tendency in ourselves, right? Because, you know, especially if it feels like, so I'll give you the example. I used to, you know, at the very beginning of my career when I had to do media work, especially TV work, I was just scared that I would get it wrong. And I spent a lot of time thinking about all the possibilities, trying to get all the information. And in fact, they were going to ask you three questions and the whole spot takes three minutes, right? And then it's done. And I think, you know, I probably spent half a day or a day trying to prepare for it. And I didn't need to prepare for it at all. And I knew that I didn't really need to prepare for it at all because somebody had said, you know, my PhD supervisor at the time had said to me quite explicitly, don't prepare for it. <laughs> you shouldn't prepare for it. You'll sound more scripted than you need to be. You know enough to go on and just do it. Uh, and I think that just the idea of being underprepared made me so uncomfortable that I just ignored that advice. But I think he was right that 
sometimes over preparing actually sounds makes you sound more stilted and um, you actually try to provide too much detail when in fact your first impulse is the right impulse which is to explain things more simply um, and then when you know more information you tend to actually want to provide more detail which tends to be more confusing for an audience that isn't really familiar with what you're talking about I know this kind of plays into this whole fear thing. Like you're afraid, so you over-prepare, so you actually do kind of worse than you would have done otherwise. I think that fear, it's about in some ways conquering the worry that it's going to go badly, right? Thinking through what is the worst thing that will happen in this situation? I will say something that makes me not look very smart uh, is probably the worst, you know, that will happen for most of us in most situations where we're asked to speak publicly. But frankly, nobody will remember that except for you. That's the thing, right? And I think if you remember that, then you will be able to take more risks. If you realize that nobody will remember your mistake or care about it, except for you, you know, beyond the next, you know, the moment after it's said, or the 15 minutes after you give your talk, everybody's thinking about something else. They've got more important things about what they're going to eat for dinner, or, you know, who they're going to hang out with tonight. They're not going to remember when you didn't say something perfectly, or when you made a particular mistake. Frankly, most people won't even catch your mistake. But even if it's the worst possible speech that you've ever given, Nobody will remember it except for you. And as long as you realize that, then you will hopefully be less afraid of taking those risks. That's great. Um, I think that's great advice just in for most of life, actually. Like people just aren't paying as much attention to you as you maybe think they are. <laughs> I know, right? It's kind of sad, but it's true. <laughs> and of course, like when you are the center of your own universe, like it's instinctively logical to say like, ah, I'm also the center of everyone else's universe, but you're not. And that's fine. <laughs> it's just that our failures uh, tend to stick out a lot more in our own heads than everybody else's. And exactly. it's, it's fine. And, it, you know, if you give yourself some room to make mistakes, then inevitably you will get better. And that goes for, you know, under preparing as well, right? So the the under-preparation in some cases will lead to situations where you're probably not going to give the best talk. But, you know, you find out where that line is and you realize, oh, maybe I need to do a little bit more next time. But you're certainly not going to err on the side of, okay, well, I need to spend, you know, on a regular basis, a full day's worth of prep in order to give a 15-minute talk. When in fact, you could probably spend five minutes, right? So somewhere between the five minutes and the full day is the nice balance for a lot of people. But it could be a lot closer to five minutes than it is to 10 hours, right? And that's a massive difference. So just realizing where that line is for you personally, under what, you know, under what circumstances, for what audience, how much does this matter? You know, trying to calibrate those things, you can really only get that by doing it a lot. I think it's a really, really important thing. And I think it's, this is really about, I particularly wanted to say this because it's, this is about 
this is for a group of women, right? I'm speaking to women here. And this this thing about public speaking, I think men are much more comfortable with public speaking than women are, at least the, the women, you know, in the countries that I am more familiar with, right? So that would be true, actually, whether we're talking about West Africa or whether we're talking about, um, you know, the UK and Britain or Canada and the US. I think that men just naturally have a kind of confidence in public that women are just much more hesitant about when it comes to public speaking. And so there are these things, but but part of it is realizing that it's just about practice and you can get over it and you do have something to say. And frankly, a lot of the time, you know, you have really incredible things to say, but you have to actually be just a little bit braver about putting up your hand and saying them. I think you're right. I think that's great. Um, thank you so much for, for all of your time today. And wow, this is Annika again. That was an awesome conversation. I don't know about you, but I think I could listen to her talk about public speaking for a long time. For those of you who are lucky enough to go to King's College London, whoa, take her class. So we have one more interview, um, a little bit of a change of pace, but a really excellent conversation from Sarah Minkata. I really, really enjoyed what she had to say about using so many different kinds of opportunities as public speaking. So as usual, we'll let her introduce herself. My name is Sarah Minkara, and I'm the founder and CEO of Empowerment Through Integration. It's an international nonprofit that focuses on um, the empowerment and the inclusion of people and youth with disabilities. And the way we do that is by changing and disrupting the narrative surrounding disability, trying to move from a charity-based perspective to a value-based perspective. So ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get everyone within society, whether it's a youth with disability, whether it's a family member, whether it's a community person, whether it's someone, someone random person in society to come to a realization that integrating people with disability into society is a value for all. By not doing so, we're losing out on their value and their potential. So that's what, what ETI is all about, and that's what my mission in life is all about. That's great, and I think you're 100% correct, yeah. Um, so one of the things we've been sort of addressing as we've moved into talking about public speaking and talking about how, um, how that's defined is that people have different definitions of public speaking, and like what we consider like mm. public speaking can vary wildly between people. So if you don't mind, just talk a little bit about mm -hmm. like for you, what makes a situation one in which you're doing public speaking? Mm. I think um, public speaking is uh, is a platform or a situation where you are engaging with a broader public and doesn't necessarily have to be a huge audience it could be even just two people but it's more of the sense that I'm talking to someone that I have never talked to before I um and I usually look at the model and this is actually a model that I've learned from Marshall Gans he's a professor at the Kennedy School and he teaches this um um public narrative model which you do self us and now so you first connect on a personal level then you connect your story and what you're trying to do with with the audience in front of you because there's always a connection between me and you and by connecting making that connection then you take it to the next level and you always have to end it up end it up uh, uh, off with a now what's 
what why are we talking about this what's the action step and it could be very much an action step can be very simply as let's just think about this narrative change in our life moving forward um so for me the self us now is a model that i even use one-on-one when i'm networking for instance and talking to people um and it could be also in a space where i'm talking to a really huge audience so public speaking is it's more about connecting with um a, a person in society on a very much human level and on a on a specific topic perfect yeah um and kind of carrying on from that can you give some examples maybe some unconventional examples of places or reasons that someone might have to to do public speaking like what are some some instances that maybe people don't think of? Of course, we can all think of like, oh, I was at a conference and I gave a presentation. But what what do you find yourself doing when you're what when you consider yourself to be public speaking? I mean, I can I think it it can it um, it ranges and it kind of the situation varies and the space varies. But for instance, like I could be at a dinner and it could be a dinner that has nothing to do with a specific topic, but you end up and uh, and I, for instance, I end up talking about an issue surrounding disability and it engages the people at the dinner. And it's a way that you're engaging this audience in front of you um, with this topic at hand. So it could be a wide range of settings. It could be you're sitting um, on a plane and you're talking to a few individuals. So I feel like it's just a, uh, public speaking is um, a tool that you use to engage the broader public on different topics so um doesn't necessarily have to be a conference doesn't necessarily have to be in a classroom setting or a workshop setting it could really be as simple as at a dinner place or walking down the streets and talking to someone at the train station and that kind of stuff that's a really interesting perspective and yeah i think you're i think you're right that we need to sort of broaden our conceptions there of what what public speaking includes exactly and i i mean also it could go beyond and and doesn't necessarily have to I mean you can take it many different ways but by sharing your thoughts and your ideas and your reflection on a podcast series for instance or by sharing it in different in different mediums I think ultimately it's just um yeah sharing your thoughts and your voice in these different platforms that engages the public for sure. I definitely conceive of like the work I do on the podcast as public speaking, even though largely exactly. the speaking I'm doing is like to my co-host and that's about it. But like you have that consciousness of the audience there for sure. Exactly. Um, so you have probably heard your fair share of speeches in your lifetime. Does, do you have any characteristics that you've identified of what makes a good speech or what makes like a good public speaker? What are you looking for? What makes someone skilled at that? Mm. I think for me, it's a few a few things that makes a, a speech a, a very um, powerful speech or even a powerful speaker. One is I think that um, stories using the uh, there's a power behind using stories um, and using stories to prove uh, to really weave a message throughout the speech. Um, I also really like. Um, structure like a combination of stories and structure is very is very powerful you don't want the audience to be lost um and i think um it's important to kind of have some sort of structure because i've been in speeches where i'm like i don't know where he's going with that i don't know where she's going with that um but and then the third is i think and it's more of a characteristics of the public speaker i think the more engaging he or she is um, with the audience and more interactive, even like it could be a very huge audience, but you can still be very engaging and interactive, the better. 
the more that they're reading, less reading off of a script and just saying what's in their heart and they're in the mind, the better. So it's, it's a combination of all of that storytelling structure from the heart, um, interacting, engaging, and then also um, the structure aspect, I would say the self, us, and now is kind of how it structure things. So those are kind of the factors and the elements in um, creating a powerful speech and speaker. I think you're really you're really onto something that like there's a combination of personal sort of like personal appeal and then structure that makes me feel like I am in the hands of like a really talented public speaker. I think those are like really key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, what then would you recommend for people to build those public speaking skills? What's a good way to practice public speaking? Mm. I think that. Um... I think, first of all, I I truly believe that every single person out there has something beautiful to contribute and has a a beautiful message to contribute. And I think first believing in that and really taking taking a step back and reflecting on that and saying, what's my message and what's my purpose in this world? And I think that first anchors you. And then you have to take a step further and you have to say, okay, how does my message and my purpose connect with society at large, Right from human to human level. And I think, and then from there, um, saying what, 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 again, like taking it forward and saying, okay, what's the purpose behind even me putting out this message? And um, yeah, so I think first that internal reflection is so important. And then the second is, um, is in terms of delivering, um, be yourself. Don't ever, don't ever compare yourself to others, to be honest. I think, yes, practice is important. Um, my, my communications director has been having me practice um, a lot, which is helpful. And I think it's a combination of practice, but I think it's a combination of also be yourself. And know, just have a very much high-level outline in your head uh, of what you want to say and just go with it. Um, don't care what people are thinking of you. Don't um, think about, um, oh, I missed this because no one really knows what you missed or didn't say um so those those are kind of my advice anyone and everyone has a message to say and I think believing in that is the first step brilliant yeah I think I think that also like makes so much sense that we can't categorize ourselves purely as like a person who does public speaking or doesn't do public speaking that's just useless (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes exactly exactly because you could be a, a very much a teacher or you can be a, a, an employer or you can be any any kind of position again at the end of the day you can you as a person do have to engage people in society and um and i think it's you, you whether you know it or not or whether you like it or not you're always speaking to the public yes absolutely do you have any sort of tips or tricks that you use like for you personally or that you've heard that you think are really useful for for doing a good job at public speaking like everyone always has the picture of the audience in their underwear kind of thing and like Mm. probably that one's not the most useful but like do you have any that you rely on um a a couple things one is I mean I'm I'm blind so I think it's helpful at times that you can't see the audience but on the other hand, you cannot see whether the audience is reacting to you or not. I My biggest tip is try to be engaging, interactive. Try to say to the audience, hey, how's it going? And and kind of ask questions throughout and make it more engaging and more exciting. I think that's my biggest tip. If, if you do that, you'll feel more comfortable. You feel like you're just talking to them. 
and you feel like you're, you know, uh, so for me, like, I don't use a podium. I feel like podiums constrained me. I don't use, I try to be able to move around because I feel like I want to interact more with the audience. Um, I, the, the hour, a couple hours before I try to clear out my mind and brain, I'm not a person that memorizes the speech or the script. Um, the, the more I memorize, the more I feel like I'm more, um, uh, I'm less authentic in delivering it. So for me, it's just making sure I just know the outline and I've practiced before, but I also um, just let it go the day of and um, not think about it and then just go on stage and know that um, no matter what, I have a beautiful message to give. Can you talk a little bit more about like being authentic when you're speaking? Because I think that's something that a lot of people do struggle with. And I think a lot of people mm. like can't quite get that balance between delivering their message effectively and also still seeming like a person rather than a robot, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I, I, I think that, you know, it's, um, when you are, when you are very confident of what you're saying and you are less so it's it's what your mind is focusing on. If your f- mind is focusing on, okay, I need to make sure I get these sentences right and make sure I get all of these words in and make sure that I'm doing this. You know, when you're really focused on the technical aspect of what you're saying, that's when you're, the work at the center is not the message that you're delivering, but the work at the center is the kind of the the structure that you're delivering, if that makes sense. So what, but instead when you're saying, okay, my I have five messages I want to point, I want to, bring out and making sure that you know you're going to cover these five messages and that's it and you know why these messages are important to deliver that's when you just lose yourself in these messages and you just talk about it and it becomes that's when the power and authenticity comes out does that make sense that makes perfect sense yeah I think and I think again it comes down to that sort of like prepare but not too much and like have a structure but don't be reliant on it yeah exactly Um, so there are people who are, you know, terrified of public speaking, but then there are like the other kinds of people who really enjoy like public speaking and like doing that kind Mm. of thing. And do you have any recommendations for people who know that they are the latter kind of person? Where should they be looking at like jobs, careers, that kind of thing to make sure that they're like satisfying that need in their own professional life? I mean, there's a lot of platforms. I think, I think just public speaking for the sake of public speaking is not, you know, I wouldn't say that's, I don't, I wouldn't say that should be the reason for them to do public speaking. I think, I think for me, as long as they have a message, important message to deliver, I think that's what's, what the first step is. And then them realizing, man, I can actually deliver my message through podcasts, through doing vlogging, through conferences, through workshops. There's so, so many outlets out there. Um, so through organizing uh, friends and community members. So, but I think it's, it should, it, sh- it sh- should start off with actually making sure that we have, that person has a powerful message to deliver and a purpose behind it. That makes a lot of sense. And I think also that list of places you gave to like do public speaking is also really useful in, in that, like it gives you some examples of like, okay, well, who goes to conferences, who makes podcasts, like what kind of conversations are we having? That's, um, yeah, that's great. Um, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about or anything that you like, oh, this is like a great piece of advice that I need to pass on, but I never, I never remembered to do it during the earlier parts of the interview. No, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> I okay. Think it, yeah. I think you covered it all. 
Okay, great. Um, well, uh, thank you again for your time. I, I really appreciate it. And I know you're, you're very busy. Yeah, you're okay, awesome. Fantastic. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Likewise. And good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Annika here again. Just a few housekeeping items as we close out the episode. So first, don't forget to subscribe to and rate or review this podcast in whatever app you use that helps other people find us. And then while you're at it, subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter available on our website. We're taking a bit of a hibernation for new, from new content for a few months, but you'll want to be in touch when we start back up. Our Twitter account is at Women in FP, and that's our organization's Instagram account as well. Ashley and I are both on Twitter and Instagram with our individual handles. Ashley is at vaguely academic and mine is at Annika EP. That's A-N-N-I-K-A-E-P. We also want to acknowledge the contributions of our awesome podcast assistant who has been helping us. Thank you so much, Nina. We really appreciate it. You can find Nina on Twitter at at Nina N-A-G-E-L 29. And finally, if the work we're doing really means a lot to you, consider supporting us via PayPal at LMGoulet or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We are an all-volunteer organization. Ashley and I do not get compensated for our time, so any support you can give us just helps to make Women in Foreign Policy even better. We're so grateful to have the opportunity to do this work and to have this platform, and it's really only from support from listeners and Women in Foreign Policy members like you that we get to continue doing it. So we wish you an awesome month and we will see you next time.